No one likes being wrong. Is there anyone here who thinks, you know, I just love it when I mess up? (laughs) Of course not. No one likes being wrong. A few years ago, I went on vacation in Texas. And on my last morning in Dallas, I took my time at the hotel and then loaded the rental car. I typed airport into my GPS and off I went to start the journey home. I remember pulling into the rental car return and quickly unloading the bags to head into the terminal. But as I walked away from the man who checked the car back in, I looked at my receipt and was disturbed to see that the fee for the car was about $100 more than I had expected. So I circled back, determined to get the charge reduced. I found the employee and said, hey, why is this charge significantly more than I was quoted? And he said, Well, because you returned the car to Dallas-Fort Worth instead of Dallas-Love Field. I was at the wrong airport. Ever have one of those moments when your heart just stops beating? And of course, since I'd already returned the car and closed out the rental, I couldn't just jump back in and race the 16 miles to the right airport. At that moment, I had no choice but to face the truth that I was wrong. I had messed up. I could try to deny it, but if I did, I would find myself sitting in an airport for a long time waiting for a flight that would never happen. And yet, as human beings, sometimes we dig in our heels and refuse to accept when we're wrong. In their book, Mistakes Were Made, But Not By Me, the authors explain how our brains work hard to make us think we're right, even in the face of sometimes overwhelming evidence to the contrary. Among the examples in their book, they recount an event 50 years ago in which a young social psychologist named Leon Festinger infiltrated a group of people, this group of people who believed that the world would end on December 21st. He wanted to know what would happen to the group when this prophecy failed. Now, the group's leader, whom the researchers called Marion, they promised that the faithful would be picked up by a flying saucer and elevated to safety at midnight on December 20th. Many of her followers actually quit their jobs, gave away their homes, and dispersed their savings waiting for the end. Well, Leon Festinger made his own prediction. He predicted that those who had given away their possessions would actually increase their belief in Marion's mystical abilities when the prophecy failed. So what happened? Well, at midnight, with no sign of a spaceship in the yard, the group felt a little nervous. By 2 a.m., they were getting seriously worried. But at 4.45 a.m., Marion had a new vision. The world had been spared, she said, because of the impressive faith of her little band of followers. And with that, the group's mood shifted from despair to exhilaration. Members of the group began calling the press to report the miracle. You see, Marion's prediction had failed, but Leon Festinger's prediction had come true. Now, hopefully none of us will ever dig our heels in in a way that costs us all our possessions. But sadly, it is not uncommon for us to dig in our heels at the cost of a relationship. It's why we're challenging one another to do the work of relational restoration. Here's a glimpse into our current series. Hey, Wilson. 
Hi-ho, neighbor. Hey, I missed you at Community Online last week. I was there. Well, I didn't see you in the chat. Well, Tim, sometimes I like to worship incognito. <laughs> it's called community, Wilson, not community me. Plus, I thought you were going in person. Well, well, the wife went in person, and the kids went in person, and I couldn't. How's that? They wouldn't let me in car. Still got trouble in paradise? Yeah, last week when we were running late, I, I lost my temper, so they told me to get lost. Well, you know, Tim, we're only as happy as our core relationships are healthy. Boy, that's a good word, Wilson. That's exactly what we talked about last week at church. Relationships are hard, but I know now that I gotta do the work of identity formation first before I can begin to restore any broken relationship. And yet, I still get stuck thinking that it's Jill that needs to change. It's Jill that needs to make the first move. It's Jill that needs to repair the relationship. I mean, I'm the one repairing everything else around here. Are you, Tim? Well, at least I'm self-aware enough to know that relational restoration starts with me. Well, that's good to hear, Tim. And self-awareness is exactly what we're talking about today. Gonna make it on time? Let's do the work. Throughout this series, we are challenging you to think of that one relationship you would like to see restored. Now, a quick and important note here. There are some relationships where restoration is not feasible or even healthy. We're not saying go back to an abusive or toxic relationship. We are not saying that every broken relationship needs restored. In fact, if you are in a toxic or abusive relationship, we want you to know that there is help available. But what we are saying is that God is likely bringing to mind one relationship that you know is worth fighting for, one relationship that he wants to restore. We want you to keep that person in mind all throughout this series. When a relationship breaks down, we often think about how the other person was wrong. However, if the goal is to get back to that person rather than get back at that person, we have to own our own contribution to the relational breakdown. We have to do the work of self-awareness. So what does this work involve? Well, what I mean by self-awareness is the ability to identify your emotions, the motivations driving those emotions, and how those emotions are reflected in your actions. For all of us, there is a lot going on below the surface of our lives. Our lives are a lot like an iceberg. If you think about an iceberg, only about 10% of the iceberg lies at the surface. These are the parts of us that everyone sees. But below the surface lies our emotions and motivations. The writer of Proverbs says, the purposes of a person's heart are deep waters. There is a lot going on below the surface, and sometimes we're not even aware of what is going on in there. But if we're willing to get honest about it, often what lies at the core of relational breakdowns is, is hurt and disappointment. The other person isn't who we needed or wanted them to be. Or it could be that we didn't measure up to who they needed or wanted us to be. And so these emotions lying below the surface are things like sadness, fear, grief, loneliness, 
And yet, too often, rather than face those deeper emotions, we just stay on the surface. Pastor and author Pete Scazzaro notes, many of us do all sorts of things to avoid dealing with our emotions. We change churches, we make different friends, lose ourselves in an addiction. This is similar to moving around to different chairs on the Titanic. Unprocessed emotions don't die, they get buried alive. If emotions aren't properly acknowledged, they will find a way to come out, often in destructive ways. And those destructive ways have broken our relationships. We lash out at one another or give one another the silent treatment. We try to get friends and family members on our side. We hold on to grudges and rehearse arguments in our head. Ultimately, we end up trying to get back at people rather than trying to get back to them. When a relationship breaks down, it can be so easy to deceive ourselves into thinking the problem lies with the other person. We convince ourselves that it's the other person who is wrong. Now, I'm not saying that the other person isn't at fault. They likely are in some way. But again, if the goal is to get back to that person rather than get back at that person, we have to do the work of self-awareness. We have to get real about the ways we've contributed to the breakdown. The work of self-awareness, it is not for the faint of heart. Sometimes we may need the help of a trusted counselor or a trusted spiritual advisor to help us understand the emotions going on inside of us. But today, I want us to spend some time on a passage where Jesus talks about self-awareness. I think that the wisdom Jesus shares in this teaching can be the first step that opens our eyes to the truth about ourselves and helps us move forward on this journey of restoring a relationship. The teaching is found in Matthew chapter 7, a part of Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount. Now, in this passage, Jesus is going to use a lot of word pictures. He's going to talk about planks and specks and pearls and pigs. Sound intriguing? Well, let's dive in. Let's start with the planks and the specks. Picking up the sermon in verse 3, Jesus says, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Jesus is a master of analogies. Just think of the absurdity of the scenario he's describing. Imagine me walking around with a big old plank in my eye, coming up to you and saying, hey, I think you have a speck in your eye. Do you want me to help you remove it? I mean, whatever I think I'm seeing in your eye, I can't possibly be seeing clearly because my own vision is obviously obstructed. You know, the point of Jesus' analogy of the plank and the speck, it isn't hard to figure out. When we find ourselves in relational conflict, our bent, our natural tendency is to want to focus on what the other person did wrong. However, Self-awareness involves acknowledging what I got wrong. You see, Jesus is challenging us to stop focusing on what the other person did, which, by the way, is something we can't do anything about. Instead, he challenges us to pay attention to what we did wrong. 
something we can do something about. We have to identify our own contribution to the relational breakdown. We have to own where we are at fault. And is this easy to do? No. But again, if the goal is to get back to the person instead of getting back at the person, we have to do the work. One of the last times I found myself in some relational conflict with one of my friends, I knew I had to do this work. I felt hurt in the situation, like my friend hadn't been completely honest with me. And we had a conversation about what happened, but, but even that left both of us feeling worse. But here's the thing. This friendship is one of the best things that's ever happened to me. My goal was to get back to this friend. And so I sat down with God and I asked him to show me what was going on in me. And what I came to realize was that there were some things in my own heart that needed to get worked out. There was some insecurity that I needed to own. There were some expectations I needed to let go of. I ended up writing down how I was at fault in the situation and read it to my friend. And when I did, I felt the wall between us fall down. Pastor Andy Stanley reminds us, the more aware I am of what God has yet to do in me, the less aware I am and the less consumed I am by what he has yet to do in the people around me. Think of that relationship you want to see restored. Have you identified the plank in your own eye? Have you owned where you blew it? You see, the work of self-awareness involves acknowledging what I got wrong. And Jesus' wisdom about self-awareness doesn't stop there. He continues with a second analogy. It's an analogy about pearls and pigs. Picking up with verse 6, he says, Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Now, Jesus' analogy about planks and specks was pretty straightforward. His analogy about pearls and pigs isn't quite as clear. In fact, to many people, this verse is the most confusing passage in the entire Sermon on the Mount. Is Jesus calling people dogs and pigs? I admit, this verse confused me for years. It was hard to reconcile what I know of Jesus' character and the rest of his teaching with this talk of pearls and pigs. But then I came across a fascinating perspective from the late theologian Dallas Willard that not only opened my eyes to the meaning of this verse, but connected it back to the previous analogy of planks and specks. Willard argues that Jesus is not suggesting that certain classes of people are to be viewed as pigs or dogs. He points out that the problem with giving pearls to pigs is that pigs can't digest them. A pig can do nothing with this. It isn't food. I mean, sure, these pearls might be valuable, but, but they do the pig no good. Willard believes that what Jesus is addressing in this unusual analogy is our effort to give good things to people who are simply not in a position to be helped by them. And we offer our good thing to the person, but they can't digest it and therefore are not nourished by it. They are not helped. What Jesus is telling us 
in this analogy of pearls and pigs is that self-awareness isn't just about acknowledging what I got wrong. Self-awareness involves acknowledging what I got right, but in the wrong way. Let me give you a few examples to illustrate what Willard means. Imagine that we are coworkers and you have just made a, a costly mistake at work and you are sitting in the regret of that mistake. You're feeling horrible. And along I come and I say something like, you know what you should have done is this, fill in the blank. Now, I might be right. What I'm telling you might be what you should have done in the situation. I am offering you a pearl, but are you in a place to digest it? No. And therefore, you are not helped. Imagine you are a teenager, feeling all the angst that comes along with this stage of life, and I'm a parent constantly throwing pearls of correction at you that leave you feeling frustrated. Imagine you are an elderly widow who's always been able to take care of yourself, but now as your adult child, I am throwing pearls of instruction at you that make you feel helpless. Imagine you are a spouse or a friend who just wants someone to listen, but I am quick to throw a handful of fix-it pearls at you that leave you feeling unseen. Dallas Willard writes, what a picture this is of our efforts to correct and control others by pouring our good things, often truly precious things upon them, things that nevertheless, they simply cannot ingest and use to nourish themselves. Often, we do not even listen to them. We know without listening. Jesus saw it going on around him all the time, as we do today. And the outcome is usually exactly the same as with the pig and the dog. Our good intentions make little difference. The needy person will finally become angry and attack us. The point is not the waste of the pearl, but that the person given the pearl is not helped. Think of that relationship that you want to see restored. Could it be that you offered pearls when the other person wasn't in a place to digest them? Oh, you were right. What you said was true. You don't find it hard to justify your choice. But if the goal is to get back to that person instead of getting back at them, are you willing to do the work of self-awareness? Self-awareness involves acknowledging what I got wrong. And self-awareness involves acknowledging what I got right, but in the wrong way. The work of self-awareness is about coming before God, asking Him to show us where we have been at fault in what happened in the relationship. It's about acknowledging the plank, it's about acknowledging the pearl. It is not easy work, but it is the next step on the journey to restored relationships. And it is work we don't have to do alone. God wants to be with us in this journey with us. He will shine a light on what we need to see. He will lead us to repentance, but He's not asking us to live in the shame or the guilt of what happened. He readily forgives our mistakes. He showers us with grace. We can enter into the work of self-awareness with Him. In fact, each week of this series, we are leaving you with a breath prayer to help you do the work of restoring relationships during the week. 
And this week's breath prayer is a request to see God and a request to see ourselves. Let's try this together. On the inhale, we're gonna silently pray, God, show me you. And on the exhale, we silently pray, God, show me me, okay? Inhale, God, show me you. Exhale, God, show me me. Let's try this together, ready? Here we go. Let's try it again. One more time. God, show me you. God, show me me. I encourage you to pray that prayer this week, asking God to help you see yourself. And who knows, if we follow Jesus' wisdom and take ownership of our part of the problem, our humility might help unlock something in the other person that they might not have been able to unlock themselves. And together, we can start a journey toward relational restoration. God, show me you. God, show me me. Let's do the work of self-awareness.